jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Traveling Without Moving, the Season Travelers podcast on jasoncharles.net is sponsored by Pim Philip Experiences, the Manhattan-based tour company that provides custom travel and event experiences in New York City and beyond. Heightening visitor perspectives and engaging business groups with licensed multilingual local guides, Pim Philip offers tailor-made urban expeditions and virtual experiences, often along unexpected routes. Go to pimphilip.com for more information. That's P-I-M-P-H-I-L-I-P.com. Traveling without moving on jasoncharles.net. My name is Melanie Brandman. I'm the founder of TravelCurator.com and the Brandman Agency. And I went to Marrakesh this past Thanksgiving. And spent four days there with some friends. I have been going to Marrakesh for about 15 years now. I went there for a landmark birthday a number of years ago. I'd always had a desire to go and I've I hadn't been, but I've traveled to a lot of the Middle East and North Africa, and I've been to Egypt and all throughout the UAE and other parts of the Middle East and around the Middle East of uh, the Mediterranean and areas like that. So Marrakesh was always on my list. And so for my for my landmark birthday, I decided I would tick that one off. And I went over for two weeks and rented a beautiful Riyadh in Marrakesh for myself and about 10 friends. Riyadh is a Moroccan home with an internal courtyard. It's very breezy, very light, and they're incredibly beautiful. And so it was a really special time. And since then, I've been back numerous times. The trip to Marrakesh is actually not that long. I mean, as an Australian, I'm used to very long trips and leaving New York, um, there are many ways to fly there. The most direct way is on Royal Air Maroc. There, there are no direct flights from New York to Marrakesh. You need to go through Casablanca. It's about a six to seven hour flight and they have some new aircraft. So it's, it's definitely comfortable, sort of a good introduction to Morocco, Moroccan food and mint tea. And so it's, it's a pretty easy flight actually. And the flight from Casablanca to Marrakesh is probably only about 30 minutes. And Marrakesh has a gorgeous new airport, modern, clean, it's very large, it's easy to get through. So if you can go through Marrakesh Airport, that's great. Often what I would do is I would fly to Casablanca, usually miss my connection, (laughs) and then we would um, take a private car from Casablanca to Marrakesh, which is actually a great way to to see a lot more of the country. It's about a three-hour drive, and you go through the desert, you pass... A lot of Berber villages, and the Berbers are the local nomadic farmers. And you pass a lot of random sheep and camels and a lot of green pastures. It's it's really quite a diverse landscape when you're driving from Casablanca. But otherwise, if I'm not flying from New York, or even if I am, I may fly to London or Madrid or Paris and then connect down direct to Marrakesh. There are lots of flights directly to Marrakesh from there. When you fly into Marrakesh... um, First of all, try and get a window seat if you can. It makes a great deal of difference because it's all part of the arrival, the sense of, you know, the landscape alone. It's very flat, very arid, 
um, you'll come across areas almost like an oasis where there's a lot of agriculture, but then it sort of butts up to the desert and you'll see a lot of livestock and it's very flat, as I said. And as you get closer and closer um, to landing, you'll start to see all the beautiful Moorish architecture of the city. What I found about Marrakesh and what I love about it so much is the conformity of the architecture. And you start to see that as you get closer to arrival, the Moorish architecture is sort of had the hues of sort of sandy pink, the sandstone, the clay, I should say, of the Medina, of the walls that surround the Medina. And as you get closer, you see that. When you land, you land in Marrakesh Airport, which is very modern. The city parts of it are very modern, but straight away, the sort of sense of arrival, you know that you're somewhere different. And, and just the smell, the sensory overload, both the vibrancy of the colors, but also, you know, the spices and the mint and everything about it is just so intoxicating. And that's what I love about Morocco itself. And Marrakesh is my favorite um, part of Morocco. And, as I come through the airport, I usually have a driver there to pick me up. It's just a lot easier. And the hotel in which I stay is only 10 minutes from the airport. I always stay at La Mamounia, which is absolutely, probably my favorite hotel in the world. It dates back to the 12th century and is designed in sort of Arabic Andalusian. It sort of embodies that Arabic Andalusian culture. Um, it was built behind the medieval walls that surround the city and it was gifted to Prince Al Mamun as a wedding gift back in the 18th century. It became a hotel in 1923 and it became one of the most famous hotels in the world. One thing that I really love about the history, they filmed a lot of movies there and they filmed the Albert Hitchcock movie there, The Man Who Knew Too Much with Doris Day and James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart. And there's one scene filmed in the hotel where Doris Day is singing Que Sera Sera. And so a lot of movies have been filmed there and Winston Churchill used to go down there all the time and paint there. And at one point the hotel had a bar called the Churchill Bar. So I started going to La Mamunia about 12 years ago when it reopened after a massive renovation, an absolutely meticulous, extraordinary renovation by a very famous interior designer called Jacques Garcia, who has done a number of great hotels around the world, like Hotel Cost in Paris. And they closed La Mamunia for about three years. They reopened it and it's just the embodiment of what everything about Marrakesh is about. It's sexy, it's intoxicating, the artistry is extraordinary. Uh, the tile work alone, every single tile in that hotel has been handcrafted individually and laid by hand. There are thousands upon thousands and thousands of tiles. They've opened up the hotel so it leads onto this extraordinary garden which was part of the original building back in the 18th century which is why it was such an incredible gift for the prince. It's half an acre and to this day a lot of the uh, trees that have been there for a long long time are still there. There are 200 olive trees that sort of go down the center of the garden and they are about 700 years old and today they make olive oil from these olive trees, which by the way, I bring back with me every single time. It is the most fantastic olive oil. I always have a few bottles of it in my kitchen. It makes for a great dressing. Um, and they have about 700 orange trees and they, the fresh orange juice every morning is from the trees. So when you get to the hotel, firstly, like a lot of things in Marrakesh, which is why it's such a great city to explore, is it's behind a wall 
And from the outside, it just looks like any wall of the Medina, sort of dusty, pinky, orange sort of color, you know, the amber color, which is everywhere in Morocco. And the gates open, you come into this incredible palace that is the hotel with these incredible doormen who are dressed top to toe in Berber outfits. They open up the doors and as you walk in, the scent of dates and Moroccan oranges and the very heady, sort of heavy scents of that part of the world sort of sort of waft in and, and you're greeted straight away by the kindest, most loveliest people. And I find the Moroccan people to be some of the nicest in the world. You come in and you straight away sit down in this beautiful lobby that is cool and quiet and serene with all the beautiful tile work and plush fabrics at Jacques Garcia. He's very known for his use of red velvets and beautiful lanterns. And he has taken a lot of traditional Moroccan design and amped it up, I don't know how else to say it, into the most luxurious, plush environment without it being pretentious, without it being over the top. It's just a great tribute to the beautiful designs that you find across the city. And so when you arrive at the hotel, you know, it's not a traditional check-in, you sit down, they give you a plate of beautiful dates. And that's a very typical thing to eat in Morocco. Uh, dates with milk and then also mint tea. And of course, the whole majesty of, of how they pour mint tea over there is quite an art form in Marrakesh. And it's incredibly beautiful to arrive off a flight and to come into, into this incredible environment that just is, speaks volumes about, you know, what you're going to see for the next few days. Once we check in, the first thing I always do is walk around the gardens and uh, there's a beautiful perimeter around this half acre of garden. It's just so peaceful. You just hear the birds. There's a mosque right near, actually there are several mosques nearby, but the main mosque of Marrakesh is within the Medina. And as I mentioned, the hotel is in the Medina and the Medina is basically a walled city. And at certain points throughout the day, the call to prayer starts. And as you're walking through the gardens and there's a soft breeze and the birds are chirping and the scent of the orange trees, and they have several thousand rose bushes in this garden as well. And so you're walking around, it's like a half kilometer walk. It's a good way to get your steps in. And then the call to prayer and you're just like, I have arrived. This is, it's so, as I said before, it's just so intoxicating. And I do a couple of laps and sort of cut through the center of the garden where they've built this, another like little riad, if you will, a little house that has beautiful pastries from French patisserie called uh, Pierre Hermé, who's very famous for his macaroon, and they have ice cream there. And then I walk over to the pool, which is just gorgeous. And, you know, everyone's just relaxing around the pool and they have a beautiful pool house where breakfast is served every day. And then I make my way back into the hotel and pop upstairs. And by now the room is, is beautifully decked out. They've brought up lots of beautiful pastries for me and some champagne. <laughs> and I have to say, I never want to leave. It's very hard to leave that property because everything is there. This time I was bringing some friends with me. I'm always so proud to show them my Marrakesh. So we stayed at the hotel, but we spent a lot of time doing day trips from the hotel. The first thing, of course, is going to the main square of Marrakesh, which is about a 10-minute walk from the hotel. Every Medina has a main square. And in Marrakesh, it's the Gemma al Panal Square. And this is the central meeting place for all the locals. It's where, during the day, it's a little quieter. They have a lot of, you know, like juice 
stalls set up and people are selling orange juice and you know there's fresh grapefruit and lots of like figs and dried fruits um, is what they're selling during the day and behind the main square is the souk and the souk is the market area it's this labyrinth of walkways and stalls and one area is say a slipper souk and one is a carpet souk and there's hat souk and spice market there are all these little markets within here and you could spend days there. I mean, it's it's a shopping nirvana, of course. Always come to Marrakesh with a couple of empty bags because you will buy a lot of things. You know, every time people hear I'm going to Marrakesh, first it's, can I come with you? And if not, this is my shopping list. I'm like, oh. So I brought my friends over from the hotel and they each had a very long list of what they wanted to buy. But I said, just take your first day, get acclimatized, walk through the souk. You're probably going to change your mind about what you actually want. But you'll also learn how to negotiate and how to haggle. And that in itself is an art form. And of course, the shopkeepers love to haggle with you. And it's their way of sort of, you know, getting to know you as well. And they're pouring you mint tea and let's get a better price. And let's talk, would you like another five of these? And let's let's do a bigger price for you. So it's all part of the art form and how you get to really get to know the, the local shopkeepers too, which I love that whole, that whole part of the journey. To me, it's all about the experience. And just walking through there is quite a journey unto itself. People at first are always a little nervous. They're always nervous that they're going to get lost or they might find it a little, definitely overwhelming at first, but you, but you do get used to it. But I always say that all roads lead back to the main square there. And I find that you never really get lost. The Moroccans, the people within the souk, the locals tend to speak English, French, and Arabic. Usually most people speak two or three languages. So you tend to always find someone who can help you if you do get a little lost. And so that first day, I tend to always say for people to go into the souk and just really understand the vibrancy of the city through that. I love shopping for brass lanterns. I have a outdoor space where I live. And so it's very much in Moroccan design. And we have a lot of hanging brass lanterns, as well as a lot of homeware, a lot of beautiful contemporary homeware, actually, that they do now in Morocco. I buy a lot of fabrics, a lot of linens. But I also have found an incredible leather place where they actually will copy anything for you. But also so a lot of leather skirts and a lot of jackets and bags. And there's a lot of great leather. There's a big tannery within the Medina, part of the souk. My very first time to, uh, to Marrakesh, when someone said they wanted to take me to the tannery, I thought they meant for some great bag shopping. But of course, you're actually in a tannery. And the, the, the smell is so excruciating. But of course, my guide was so proud to show me this tannery, which is the most hideous thing you could ever see, particularly because I don't eat meat. And I end up walking around with, a, with like a huge handful of fresh mint under my nose in order to stop the smell of all the hides. And it took me about an hour to get out of there politely to, to extricate myself from this, from this guide who was having such a lovely time showing me all this. I'm like, where are the handbags? Of course, there weren't any. Um, so don't ever fall for that trap. That's my thing. I don't tend to buy as much anymore because I've been there so many times. I just take great joy in showing everybody else. And I also haggle for them a lot. I've become quite the expert having grown up in the Middle East as a young girl with my family. And so the art of, of haggling and sort of the spirit of it, the joyful spirit of it, um, I've been doing for many years. And get off the main, um, what would be the main alleyways or thoroughfares and sort of go back a little bit and find some of the other areas which are a little more quiet. You'll find a lot of other little shops out the back, you know, in the streets behind and behind and behind. 
There are also some other very modern areas of the souk where in the last few years, a lot of modern contemporary stores have popped up. A lot of design stores, home stores, fashion stores from Europe, from England. A lot of Europeans have set up retail there, but also set up little hotels within the Medina, the souk. As I mentioned earlier, the Riyads, there are a lot of Riyads within this area. And what I love about the Riyads is you'll come up at, like the hotel, you come up to this very small door. You can't even imagine what's behind it. You open it and it's a beautifully, meticulously restored former home. Again, with a central courtyard, usually with a swimming pool and just beautiful with gorgeous palm trees and water fountains everywhere. And they've really done an amazing job renovating these and they've become like little private hotels or little shopping areas. There's a wonderful club there called the Jad Mahal, which is walking distance from the from the hotel, thank goodness, because it's a very late night. They have um, great live music and they have this wonderful group that comes in and if you know what a whirling dervish is, you know, these dancers who go around in sort of, you know, hypnotic state and, and they do it to rap music on the stage and it's extraordinary. And so that's a really great thing to, to do as well. I always suggest to people to use a guide when in Marrakesh because there's so much to see. You really don't want to miss out on all the nooks and crannies that that city has on offer. I would always recommend asking the hotels to recommend a guide. You know, they obviously use people that they trust, but also always reach out before any trip. I always say on social media and, and ask your friends and families, anyone you know who have been there or do your research. You know, there are a lot of good quality guides online. You know, a lot of magazines have published guides to Marrakesh and they tend to recommend guides for you. And there are certain guides, if you're interested in history and architecture, there's a great guide for that. And there are lots of great museums and great buildings in and around Marrakesh, historical sites that you should have a guide with you because also you can get in a lot more quickly and they've already prepaid for the tickets. So it just makes a much more seamless process. There are guides for going outside of the city. And I do always take my friends outside the city to the Atlas Mountains or into the desert. There are lots of places to go and places to see, you know, for day trips, which are really worthwhile. But also there are guides at a lot of the main points of interest in the city. So, for example, there's a wonderful place called the Marjoral Gardens, which is about a 20 minute drive from the hotel in which we stayed, La Mamunia. And the Marjoral Gardens were designed back in um, 1923 by a French artist called Jacques Marjorel. And they were restored by Yves Saint Laurent in the 1980s and he actually had a house right behind the gardens, which has recently opened since he passed away. And also they just built the Yves Saint Laurent Museum uh, right next to that. So it's an area where you have the beautiful public gardens, which, you know, which he restored in the 80s, which are open to the public. His home behind, but that's by private invitation, your hotel may or may not be able to get access for you. And then there's the museum, which opened just a couple of years ago, which is, has a spectacular collection from Yves Saint Laurent. And the one thing about the Marjorel Gardens, which even if you're not into gardens, and frankly, my, my guess, all they wanted to do was go to restaurants and go shopping, which I understand. But there is a lot more to Marrakesh than that. And, and the gardens, I made sure they spent a couple of hours at the gardens because Jacques Marjorel created this extraordinary blue paint and the gardens are all painted in this blue paint. It's called Marjorel Blue. And it's it's probably the most beautiful, vibrant blue color you'll ever see. 
So just walking through these gardens, it's mainly cactus. It's an extraordinary cactus garden. And recently, I guess a few years now, they introduced a Berber museum within the gardens. It's a small museum which goes through the history of the Berbers of, of the local tribes and sort of their history in Morocco and their clothing and their beautiful artisan jewelry. And it's, it's just a short tour through there. And it's not big, the gardens, but it's definitely worth seeing. And then of course, Yves Saint Laurent Museum is next door if you're interested in that and it's really worth it. But also across the road, so my crew was very happy, is the contemporary shopping sort of district of Marrakesh, so lots of contemporary Moroccan homeware, fashion, uh, leather, and so we uh, spent a few hours there as well. The reason I also love to go to Marrakesh is for the food. It's quite extraordinary. Um, it's very much driven by, it's, it's handed down, I should say, the recipes are handed down, you know, by mother to daughter to daughter to daughter. And you find that a lot of the chefs are women. Certainly at the at, at La Mamounia, um, they have an, an incredible Moroccan restaurant and it's local women who cook there. And uh, it's a lot of tangines and tangines, I'm sure a lot of people have seen those sort of triangular um, sort of lids on top of uh, plates and tangines have couscous. And on top of that, there's either chicken or lamb or just a vegetable tangine. They are very simple, but, it, but the taste, the spices are incredible. And you generally have that as, as a main course, but before that, you'll have like a meze. And that could be up to 20 little dishes on a big tray. And it's everything from traditional things like a hummus, maybe something along those lines, or there's a lot of eggplant and tomatoes and carrots and, you know, brains and you know like offal and little savory pastries and the main and sort of traditional dish is called a pastis and generally that's a sweet afterwards but they do a savory pastis which is you know like almost like filo pastry filo pastry and inside this one is pigeon and the pigeon pastis is the most traditional one and there's also got a little bit of sweet on it with like a dusting sugar and almonds in it as well and it's just extraordinarily delicious and Moroccan wines you shouldn't forget about the Moroccan wines there's a big wine industry in Morocco but the Moroccan wines are fantastic so paired with Moroccan wines the eating there is fantastic and the desserts very famous for the desserts as well you know baklava and all those things that that you would think of but they're taken to a whole nother level over there my favorite dish is the pigeon pastis because you'll never have it anywhere else but I also love the tangine with, with lamb, even though I don't, again, I don't eat a lot of meat. But when I'm there, I, I try whatever is local. But if you want the vegetarian tangine, it's equally as fabulous. One thing you should note, if you are going to eat out in the soup, there are lots of great restaurants there. They don't serve alcohol, but the hotels do, obviously. Um, and a lot of freestanding restaurants do, but you just need to double check that. So the people I traveled with, none of them have been to Morocco before. And so, of course, I, I almost had to do, you know, the Marrakesh sort of, you know, 101 tour. But I made a special point of taking them outside Marrakesh. And the hotel had organized this extraordinary trip for us out into the desert. And when I say desert, it's just an hour out of town. And they work with a local, like, tour operator, if you will, called Ali Kamat. And they had set up for us, just for us, an extraordinary luxury tent out in the desert with Persian carpets on the floor. And inside the tent were, you know, like 
beautiful you know, lounges and a gorgeous long table for us. They brought the chefs out and they were cooking in another little tent off the side and making these incredible dishes for us. Could not see another person as far as the eye could see, just sort of mountain ranges. I saw one little kid walking home from school, but he was off in the distance. I asked the organizer, why is that child there by himself? And he's like, well, he's probably had to walk an hour to and from school. And what the lovely thing about this company is that they hire all the locals and help them with their livelihoods as well to um, help with all the transport and all the cooking. And, and so they contribute to the local communities, to the local Berber families. And you definitely should, I think, for a first timer to Marrakesh, do a day trip. You could either do something like that or an organized trip out to the Atlas Mountains. There's a very popular place called the um, Kasbah Tukkal, which is the highest point of the Atlas Mountains. And the Atlas Mountains, they, they cover Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, and they sort of separate the Atlantic and Mediterranean coastlines from the Sahara Desert. So it could be maybe an hour and a half to get there. They have a lot of places you can eat up in the mountains, but you're, you're, you're at a quite a high altitude and there's often snow on the mountains for several months of the year. I have been to the coast in Morocco. It's about a two and a half hour drive from Marrakesh. It's a gorgeous town called Essaouira, and it's a walled city as well. It's a whole wall around the city and it sits right on the um, Atlantic Ocean. It's quite fabulous on the Atlantic coast. And it has become hugely popular within the music industry. They have recording studios there. It's a very creative town. They have a big music festival there. It's incredibly magical. The name means little picture in Arabic, and it's known for its blue and white Medina. Everything's in blue and white. It's incredibly beautiful. I went there on one trip to Marrakesh, went there for lunch. Beautiful seafood restaurants, wonderful Medina there. Very, very pretty, very quaint a very creative crowd. It's much more laid back and a little more hippie-ish. And it's become hugely popular with, as I said, with, with a lot of people in the music industry. They do a lot of recordings down there, a lot of French, a lot of Brits, but the more creative class, it, it sort of inspires. Marrakesh really attracts such a diverse group of people and of ages too. The one thing about the city that I have found on all my trips there is that it's very clean just driving around Marrakesh, the streets are so clean. Everyone is so kind and so polite. I have never felt ever that I'm in any danger, always felt safe. Everyone's always trying to help you find your way. As I mentioned before, they speak several, you know, they usually speak Arabic, French and English. So a lot of French tourists because, um, because of its history, a lot of um, Brits, of course, it's easy flights from Gatwick or Heathrow, a lot of Germans, a lot of Europeans, obviously, but it's becoming a huge destination for Americans as well. And I think because of the growth of the tourism industry in Marrakesh, so many gorgeous new luxury hotels have come up over the last 10 years, a lot more flights are on, but it's, um, I never really feel overwhelmed by the tourists. You know, of course, when you come into the markets, you know, a number of little kids will run up and say, you know, do you want to buy this or you buy that? But once you tell them, no, they, they sort of leave you alone. It's, it's not like a lot of other cities that I've been to where it's like, oh my God, this is too much and too many people. and overwhelming. I don't find Marrakesh like that at all. I find them very kind and, and respectful people. I love the spirit that the Muslim religion and, and, and the Muslim ascetic brings to Marrakesh too, but I've never felt it to be anything more than just a respectful place, really.
I mean, for me, visiting a Muslim city like this, a Muslim country, I think we should all just always be respectful of the countries that we visit. And whilst it's it's more modern than perhaps some of the other areas of Morocco, because it's very international, I am still very respectful about being covered. I, you know, just sleeves. I would never walk around with like a well, I would never have walked around in a crop top, but I would never walk around in something that you'd find on a beach, for example. I think that's just respectful for any Muslim country, you know, for any public space. I think, you know, visiting Marrakesh, we should always do our homework. You know, like any place, you do your homework, you know, what is the religion? What's the currency? You know, how do you plug in your things? And the good news here is that they accept any money. So dollars, euro, pounds, the local currency is dirham. Um, but they'll accept anything. So you always have a shopping opportunity. The great thing for Americans is that the electrical current is the same head on the electric um, as ours. So you don't have to worry about transformers or adapters or anything like that. But again, you should always do your homework. You know, be respectful of the culture, the traditions, the rules and regulations. You know, certain countries have certain rules. And whether you're going to, to Indonesia, to Bali, or whether you're going to Marrakesh, or whether you're going to to London, you know, you should always know what those are, because I just think it's the right thing to do, and uh, you don't you don't want to be that tourist either. You know, as I said, the thing about Marrakesh is it's incredibly international, and people are, you know, generally, you know, it's a very well educated city. People speak several languages. They're well educated. They're proud of their city, of their country. They know their history. It's Honestly, a, a number of other cities could uh, could uh, could do with a few lessons from from a city like this. The biggest change over the years for me has just been the way the city has grown. When I first went to Marrakesh, where I stayed was an up and coming area. Now it's like the Beverly Hills of Marrakesh, with a lot of very you know wealthy neighborhoods and beautiful big homes and and stunning actually in a very sort of modern contemporary shopping areas and, and a creative class living there. So yes, the the expansion of Marrakesh, but not a lot has changed as well, which is what's so fantastic about it. I love the fact. The markets are still the same, you know, the city still looks the same because the architecture is, as I said, it's sort of this conformity of beautiful Moorish architecture around the city. Um, so a lot of that hasn't changed, which is why I keep going back. So every time I travel, I'm also traveling for, for travelcurator.com for my website um, where we do travel guides and lots of insider intel and all the little things that perhaps you wouldn't find from just reading a general guide because one of us has always been there. So of course, Marrakesh, um, I'm actually updating a guide there right now. So this re most recent trip was another reason why I went. And, you know, I'm always posting things from there on the site. So if ever you have any questions or you want to find out about sort of the insider's guide to, to places, it's a great starting point. I am going to Aruba on a business trip in two weeks time but my proper big trip is i kid you not i'm going to marrakesh in october the hotel has actually had another renovation 12 years later and and uh, we're going back there with, with with a group of journalists actually when i think of marrakesh i always just visualize the calmness that it gives me the the complete zen and just the sense of home it's it's extraordinary for me it really resonates with me when I close my eyes I think of the beautiful architecture I think of the bustling you know courtyards within the souk you know the camels on the corner and the beeping of the tuk-tuks and the horse carriages going through the streets coming back and as touristy as that may sound there's something just 
so calming about it. You know, I think of the music, you know, I think of that and I just think of the, just the smells and, you know, the sensories that are overload and the, the visual overload, the aesthetic, everything about it is just, you feel like you've stepped back in time. Often you feel like you've stepped back in time, like the little town of Bethlehem. And uh, particularly when you get out of the city, just the kindness of the people is what I think of. I just always know that I'm welcome there, that they want you to be there. And they are very thankful for you to be there too. You've been listening to Traveling Without Moving on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep. Traveling Without Moving, the seasoned travelers podcast on jasoncharles.net is sponsored by Pim Philip Experiences, the Manhattan-based tour company that provides custom travel and event experiences in New York City and beyond. Heightening visitor perspectives and engaging business groups with licensed multilingual local guides, Pim Philip offers tailor-made urban expeditions and virtual experiences, often along unexpected routes. Go to pimphilip.com for more information. That's P-I-M-P-H-I-L-I-P dot com.